Hello and welcome to this very special discussion about how to ease your stress in a crisis. My name is Josie Thompson and today I'm joined by my dear friend, Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz. Welcome, Jeff. Hi, Josie. Jeff, would you like to introduce yourself and tell the audience a little bit about yourself before we get into the topic? Sure. Uh, I'm, I am a psychiatrist and um, and going back into the 1980s, I was studying obsessive compulsive disorder for many years and doing research on it and specialized in using mindfulness and an understanding of brain science to manage the anxieties that come with obsessive compulsive disorder. And that's very relevant to the crisis kind of anxiety that we're talking about today. So say more about that, Jeff. How is, how is this crisis anxiety similar to OCD? Well, I would say the main similarity that, that this kind of crisis anxiety has to obsessive compulsive disorder is, is the intrusive nature of the fear. Um, obsessive compulsive disorder has tremendously intrusive thoughts of danger and fear. Now, it's true that in obsessive compulsive disorder, the person basically knows that they don't make sense or at least on some level understands they don't make sense. And in this situation, um, on some level, they obviously do make sense. Um, but the thing that they both have in common is, is that the anxiety and the intrusiveness of the thoughts of, of danger are, are exaggerated. And, and I think that, that, um, in the current situation, that's the real thing to keep in mind that with OCD, we're basically teaching them that's your brain sending you a false message. This makes no sense. Now, obviously when it comes to this COVID-19 virus, it's not, it makes no sense. I mean, however, um, what is going on to a very significant degree is the amount of fear and panic that people have is excessive given what we basically already know about the real dangers of this of this and and in any event that kind of very very heightened fear and panic is not helpful in any event so mm. what we're trying to do is is at least bring some understanding of the reality of the situation to bear on helping to manage, you know, our response to the fears of this virus. Excellent. And that's what I really want to do today is focus on what are some practical strategies that people can do to ease that that fear and that anxiety and that stress that's being ignited by the situation that we're in at the moment. But before we do that, can we talk a little bit about how we get triggered and what it, so that we can understand the triggering um, so that we realise it's, it's not this, there's not a problem with us. This is something that our brain is wired to do to keep us safe. Can you say more on so, that? So that, that is, that is a big point. I mean, um, and um, 
you know, there have been some some good writing by by one of the leading researchers in the brain structure, the amygdala, which is part of the emotional brain or the limbic system. And he his name is Joseph Ledoux, L-E-D-O-U-X. And um, he's even written some things recently. And and uh, over the last year or two, we've had a fair amount on the on on the internet just for lay people on the fact that what the brain is doing is not in and of itself causing fear. Um, the, the 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 emotional brain is is causing essentially physiologic responses to threat. And um, so you get these kinds of, you know, fear, fear-inducing feelings, but, but how fear-inducing they are has a lot to do with how you interpret them. And so, yes, you're going to get the nervous system responses of a, your heart could race, your breath breathing could be increased in pace and and etc you're going to have you know strange feelings in your skin your hair could even stand on end i mm -hmm. these are all physiologic responses to to threat and you freeze that's another mm -hmm. very common physiologic response to 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 threaten you and and you feel like you want to run away and you start mm -hmm. to panic and and similarly panic attacks um you can get responses that are like panic attacks which are actually even lower down in in the brain so they're not even they're really in the parts of the brain that that we share with you know with quite primitive animals where there are really chemical effects in the brain that really make make us panic Okay, so what, I'm like hearing, so what I'm hearing, Jeff, there are things that happen environmentally around us that trigger a response within our brain, within our body, and then that initial response gets interpreted because of its intensity as something to, to, to be worried about, and that's what creates the fear and the stress and the panic and the freeze, yeah? That's very good. I mean, mm. that, 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 is, that is the point. I mean... So, 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 so you, you know, we have this uncertain threat and then our brain makes us feel these feelings. And, and, and then if, if we interpret those feelings as being this threat is real and here and right now and serious as if it was like right here, right now, you're going to get very, very scared. And even then, I've, I mean, obviously with training, you, you can learn to manage it. I mean, obviously that's what military training is all about. I mean, mm. you, you know, you can be in a combat situation and mm. manage that fear. That takes significant training. But even today, what we're going to do is show that there's basic kind of training mm. that you can do that can help you put the threat at least in a realistic context and and in that way manage the fear response Very so good. yeah that's great so, and what i wanted people to really understand first of all is that there's not it's not because there's a problem with them or it's a problem with their capacity to deal with what's going on this is all about the way we're wired for that desire for safety and to minimise threat. And what we're really highlighting here, it's 
the way we attend to those sensations and the interpretation of those sensations, what is the internal narrative that we construct that then creates our experience of our reality? That's it. I mean, that's, that is all very good. So a few things come up immediately that we've used over the years. Um, um, with, with, with the brain part, with OCD, but not way beyond obsessive compulsive disorder, we came up with the line, it's not me, it's just my brain. Now, again, with this, it's not just your brain, but it's still that your brain is way accentuating the amount of threat and you need to sort of manage and, and then use narrative. That's a very important word. So narrative, and that's where we obviously wrote a book, Josie and myself and Art Kleiner, um, one of our colleagues in the United States, um, who, um, and the book is called The Wise Advocate. And it's based on a book that I wrote with another psychiatrist named Rebecca Gladding, You Are Not Your Brain. And, and in that book particularly, we talk a lot about fear management. And, and The Wise Advocate is a very, very important tool because it's your inner loving guide and you can actually have an inner dialogue to reason with and calm yourself down to really understand, okay, am I, am I doing the appropriate things given the amount of, of threat that there is and given the amount of real stress that there is? And so obviously we all know by now, let's use one classic straight ahead example wash your hands. Now, it's obviously very important to wash your hands. It's extremely important. It's, you know, to wash your hands and not touch your face um, with, with hands that are not freshly washed, especially not to touch your nose, your mouth, your eyes, um, is very, very important. However, you can overdo it to the point where, and this is where the OCD analogy is not just even an analogy, compulsive hand washing damages the skin, causes cracks in the skin. <laughs> and, then, and in a situation like this, that is literally the last thing you want to happen be mm. be be because, because, because then the virus, then you're not protected. Your hands don't have, lose their natural protection against the virus. Mm. And, and, and so, you, you, you know, you want to wash your hands sort of, you know, before you eat, obviously, you, you know, when you use, use the bathroom, if you touch anything that other people have touched, um, okay, if you go outside, okay, these are, so, so, so there, are, there are real world reasons that say, now you should wash your hands. And then, okay, e even I would say every one to two hours, but not, not using really excessive amounts of especially harsh soap, and 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 they say 20 seconds and yes you have to wash your hands for 20 seconds and wash the front and wash the back and wash the fingers and and do it very carefully okay and 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 wash the inside of the fingers okay all of that there are some very good videos now on how to wash your hands but don't go too much over 20 seconds and 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 don't and don't do it again and again and again if there's no intervening reason of Right. And then, you know, you can also use um, things like 
you know, hand moisturizer makes a big difference. I've already noticed this myself. I mean, I don't usually have to use Lubriderm, just use a brand name very, very often um, during real regular times. But these days I'm using it significantly in in a mouth because I can feel my hands getting dry from washing my hands Mm. quite a bit. So so here we're taking the single most important public health thing you can do, wash your hands. And instead of doing it out of just fear, we're using reason and understanding and putting it in a context and doing it in the correct amount, in the correct way, and then, and then using things that help to mitigate some of the things that happen from washing your hands so much, like the skin getting too dry, by mm. using moisturizer, et cetera. So that's actually one very concrete, very important model for how you just don't let threat overwhelm you so that things that could be helpful, you know, become potentially not helpful because you're not doing them in a rational way. Right. So let's let's step into practical ways to manage the stress response and the anxiety. Okay. So the wife advocate, how do you strengthen your connection with this wife advocate? Well, let's talk about what it is. So you mentioned before, it's that, that, voice of the inner loving guide. Can you say more to that, Jeff? Yes. Yes. So um, we all have inside of us a, a rational voice that obviously in, 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 in a variety of different ways, it can be contextualized in a variety of different belief systems, even in significant ways to be a very high level voice. One of the ways that we use it is as a proxy term for what is is what now is the very common term mindfulness. So mindfulness is a rational outer perspective in which you observe and monitor your inner experience. And then this is the big point how even at the most simple use of the wise advocate as we use it so that you make assessments and and use discernment, good judgment to assess and have wise perspective on what you're observing and then have that inner narrative to use reason to put it in a proper context, the, the feelings that you're having. So if you have a lot of worry with respect to this virus, well, on one level, that makes a lot of sense. If you lose your job because they're closing down all the restaurants and construction and on and on, Mm. a lot of people are getting laid off Mm. and for reasons that have nothing to do with them or their work quality. Mm. And right now with all the stress, the people who are laying them off often are themselves under such stress that they don't give proper explanations mm. to contextualize why this is happening. But, you know, it will pass and it will pass. It's important that we remind ourselves of that. Absolutely. I mean, That's you know, a this is one. not the beginning of forever. I mean, mm. you know, this, this is an acute period and, you know, they're working on treatments. They're working on, you know, ways of managing this crisis. Mm. So it is a crisis and that's real. 
-hmm. we are not, we're certainly not denying the reality of the crisis, but we're saying let's not make it an unmanageable crisis by overreacting and, and not assessing our own responses to the fear and the rejections and the stresses that come. And the wise advocate talking ourselves through creating a positive, constructive, reality-based narrative to keep things in context is extremely important for managing a crisis of the kind that we're in. Mm. So step us through the first step, which is, you know, quieting down that limbic response and getting right. a sense okay, of ease so, and calm and yeah, acceptance. That is, and that is, we haven't, so we have a four-step method and, and it's been used for many, many years. It's, it's, it's the core of the, the book, You Are Not Your Brain, as well as the, the book, The Wise Advocate. And, and um, these four steps are relabel, reframe, refocus, revalue. Now, relabel is when you start the process of making a rational narrative by just putting a label on how you're feeling right now, which of course could very much be afraid, threatened, lonely, rejected, scared, all of these things. Um, so those are all legitimate labels. And when the, But the big point is that when you use language and put a label on it, you literally are relabeling the feeling be, 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 because you change your interface with the feeling by describing it in a word. And then the second step, well, before, before Jeff, before you go to reframe, I think when we also relabel, we're creating certainty for the brain. So it goes from being this felt sensation in the body. And in order to relabel, we actually have to use that executive brain to put a word on the emotional experience which then says, oh, okay, I understand why my body or I'm feeling rattled right now. Right. So executive brain, I mean, it, I mean that's a new term for many people, I'm sure. And, and it really just means the front advanced part of your brain. You can think of it very much as a uniquely human part of the brain because parts of it are uniquely human in which we can, we can put things in context and make planning. And it is the part of the brain where we really do make the discernments, you know, it, and it certainly contributes to making the assessments. I mean, relabeling is, a, is just a straight ahead assessment. This is how I feel. I'm scared. I'm lonely. I feel rejected. I feel, I, you know, I'm, I'm panicked. But then when you start to make discernments about how sensible is this, is it excessive, that 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 is really a core part of what mindfulness is and a core part of very much a core part of what the wise advocate is it's the part of the wise advocate that we re we really stress because because you're having the narrative about that and and that is executive function because it has to do with making plans and 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 having goals and those are the two key words that the front of the brain really does align us with making plans and having goals. And, and, and so when you, when you put a label on something and then start reframing, which means be accurate, be accurate. 
So you want to see the aspects of the way you feel that are not really accurate. And that's a big part about what the narrative is about. You're talking through inner, with your wise advocate. And, it, and obviously, it can be other people, too. I mean, especially if they have a certain amount of wisdom and balance is extremely helpful. And, and, and you know, again, serve that wise advocate function of putting things in their proper context. Yeah, and so, get a broader so, perspective on the way you you may be narrowly focusing on it. Exactly. You might mm. be locked in, which is freezing. I mean, mm. that, that's what we said right in the beginning. I mean, mm. that is the thing the brain really does is lock in and freeze when it's under threat. And 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 you want to you really want to get it unlocked. I mean, that is the name of my first book about OCD, brain lock, because the brain just locks in in people with obsessive compulsive disorder. And these methods have all been developed over many, many years now mm. to get a person to unlock the locked in brain that is panicking. Yeah. So those so two first two steps are very, mm. very important. The relabel and the reframe. Mm which give you what we call the cognitive context. So that, that means knowledge, so that you know what's really going on. Because the goal of the whole life advocate and the goal of mindfulness is to know what's really going on and, and then see what parts of how you're feeling don't really make sense so that you can refocus your attention taking that into account. Which is and the in there step. you have the, the, the heart of the whole thing, relabel, reframe, refocus. Yeah. And you want to then focus your attention on constructive things that help you manage the anxiety. So let's talk about some of those constructive things that would help people manage their anxiety. Okay, so one thing we wanted to mention, which is worth just saying, at least briefly, is using the breath awareness exercise. Now, obviously, there are also now relaxation tapes and relaxa I mean, relaxation recordings. They're easy to download. I'm sure there's been a lot of downloading of relaxation, you know, apps and, and etc. In in the last couple of weeks, and there was a, and there was before that anyway. So, so there are a lot of resources on the internet now for for getting um, relaxation-based tools to refocus on to help manage anxiety. But one of the ones that's the oldest, oldest, and, 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 and have the most tradition and testing behind it is, is attention to the breath, but a specific kind of attention, and that's really important because it has to be a calming kind of attention to the breath. And, and so we do a breath awareness exercise some, a lot of people would call it meditation. It could be called meditation. We like to call it a breath awareness exercise. And, and would you like to lead us through um, like a couple of minutes, Jeff, so that people can really get an experience, a felt sense and experience of it? Yeah, so I'll give, I'll give a basic introduction because it's simple. It's a simple thing. And, and, um, and I even have a YouTube video on it. So if you just... Google. Um, I'll uh, put it in the notes, Jeff. Yeah, we put, exactly. Okay. So it's easy to find. Yeah. Uh, um, and 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 so the, it's a guided breath awareness exercise. But but here it is. This is the. There's really a couple of very basic instructions, and then we'll do do a minute or two of it, and 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 maybe leave you for a minute or two to just self practice for a minute or two. Um, 
the key, the key of the breath awareness exercise is, you know, what is the awareness of? And the awareness is of the feeling of the movement of the air. So those, those simple words tell you what you're trying to be aware of. The feeling caused by the movement of the air as it goes in and out of the nostrils. And, and to accentuate that feeling slightly and make it easier to monitor, we use a simple count that also has the advantage of just a little bit slowing down and lengthening the breath that simultaneously makes it easier to observe and also calming is a calming effect itself simply by lengthening it a little bit. And so we use a count that goes like this uh, at about this pace. One, two, three, one, one, two, three, two. So on the in-breath, first in-breath and out-breath, on the in-breath, when you breathe in, you can feel the air as it enters the nostrils and then as it leaves. And on the in-breath, one, two, three, one. And on the out-breath, one, two, three, two. And then on a second breath, one, two, three, three, one, two, three, four. So it's just two breaths. Then we start over. So we're just trying to monitor and pay attention to two breaths and then repeat. And when you do it at that kind of pacing, paying attention to the feeling of the movement of the air, it has a very calming effect. But I also immediately want to add that the mind will wander as you try to do this, and that's completely okay, and that's how it happens. I mean, that's the reality of it because your, your attention doesn't just stay on your breath. And so a big part of the mindfulness part of the exercise is just when the mind wanders, becoming aware, relabeling that mind wander, and then simply bringing the attention back to the next breath, the next in-breath or out-breath, and then start the counting over. One, two, three, one on the in. One, two, three, two on the out. One, two, three, three on the next in. One, two, three, four on the next out, and then start over. And ideally, I would like to say about five minutes. And, and if you want to do this as a genuine exercise, set a timer. Set a timer for about five minutes. To start off, maybe set a timer for about three minutes and just try to do it for three minutes and see how you experience it. Yeah, and, and any time is better than no time. So if people think, oh, I've only got a minute, oh, it's too much. You know, even if you only do one or two minutes, it's a cumulative. It's less about it how right. long you do it for, but how consistently you do it. So even if you only do a few minutes in the morning and a few minutes before you go to bed in the evening and you make that your routine, it's going to have a significant... Two minutes is okay. I'm yeah. saying two minutes, three minutes, yeah. so literally. Let's do it, Jeff. Okay, so so we, we take... Uh, one breath, long breath kind of in and feel the feeling of the movement of the air as it goes in 
to the nostril, right at, on the skin, usually right around the outside of the nostril and just on the inner inside of the nostril, you'll feel that feeling that the moving air causes. And you go, and then we go one, two, three, one. And then when you breathe out, you'll feel it again going out. One, two, three, two. So let's go in breath. One, two, three, one. Out, two, three, two. In, two, three, three. Out, two, three, four. One, two, three, one. One, two, three, two. One, two, three, three. One, two, three, four. And now we can let a minute go by. So that's probably about a minute. I don't have a second hand. No, that's good. And, um, and um, that basic exercise, if you do it just for, we just did it for, I guided you for about, what, less than a minute. We let about a minute go by. And if you did it, I bet you can feel even the difference from that. You set a timer for two or three minutes, see how it goes. If it agrees with you, go for five minutes and, 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 the the part of you that notices when your mind wanders and it will wander mm. um, and then brings you back to the next breath. That's your wise advocate helping to guide you, helping to say mind wandered back to the breath. Mm. And, and giving the mind a, a, a central focus of attention is what helps to discipline your capacity to be in the moment. So whether it's focusing on the breath, for some people they like to focus on the rise and fall of their chest or their abdomen, you know, whatever works for you, do what works for you. The best meditation is the one that you're going to do. Yeah, and, and, and that is very good because, I mean, the feeling of the chest or the abdomen rising and falling is also the feeling of the movement of the air. Mm, so mm. so that, that's also completely legit if it's e if it's if it's easier to follow that then that's good too absolutely a couple of other things jeff thank you for leading us through that a couple of other ways that um i've i've helped people learn you know things like resilience in organizations uh, to manage stress is what you've mentioned in terms of relabeling so label your emotions to create certainty for your brain then one of the strategies I use is, is reappraise or reframe. So step back from your initial assessment and try to widen the lens on the data points that you're focusing your attention on. So you take in more of the information, a broader range of the information. So instead of seeing 
something as a threat, how could it be an opportunity? You know, instead of seeing this as happening to you, how could this be happening for you? And one of the ways that you also mentioned is that if you know someone that that you can you trust and and you respect, you know, to actually reach out and have a conversation with that person and seek another perspective or even think about how would that person approach this situation right now? And that may also give you another perspective on what's going on. Absolutely. And reappraisal is just another way, word for what we call reframe that has been used, coined by the very top research person, James Gross at Stanford University, very similar to what we call reframe. Yeah. And another strategy is distancing. Like sometimes when you, you know, if you're listening to social media or the news or whatever, it can get really overwhelming. And I think there's got to be times where we just create a bit of space from those channels and just cultivate peace within ourselves to deal with what's going on around well, us. And distancing is such a word right now because right after hand washing comes social distancing, which is the other thing that everybody has learned. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and, but even there, I mean, even walking in the street, I can go, was that six feet? Was that eight feet? Yes. I mean, you know, yes. it's like, okay, just keep, you know, a good distance and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and that's actually a good model for, for keep, try to keep a distance like that from your own frightening thoughts too. So have social distance from people because that's the appropriate thing to do now. And also practice having distancing, mental distancing by putting things in context and just realizing this feeling is too strong. It's getting too close to, my, to the reality of me and say, no, it doesn't need to be this close and have that kind of, of, of distancing. Another word that's used for many, many years is decentering, so, mm-hmm. so, that, so that you don't, you, you don't take in these negative feelings as part of your core sense of your true self, but mm-hmm. see them as just extraneous. And, 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 that, and that's where the intrusive, that's in that way they are intrusive. Mm. I really love that idea about trying to get some distance from those threatening thoughts and right. centering yourself. Right. right, centering yourself and decentering from the threat. Are there any other strategies, Jeff, that you know of? Well, I mean, these are all, and I just want to say, because the question often comes up, aren't these just cognitive therapy techniques? Oh, yes. I mean, they are definitely an integration of mindfulness and cognitive therapy techniques and always have been intended to be such. So Mm -hmm. this is basically a simple way of integrating mindfulness and cognitive therapy mm. types of techniques and that's what the wise advocate is all about to lend a narrative to integrating mm. mindfulness and cognitive approaches to managing anxiety great and, and the other one that i you know we've already covered um mindfulness and the other one that's been also proven to be very helpful is is keeping a lens on and focus on gratitude you know that whilst yeah. we could easily focus on all of the things that appear to be taken away from us what can we still in this very moment find to be grateful for? Absolutely. Well, that, you're right. Now one is underused in psychotherapy approaches. Yeah. So, yeah. so um, I mean, um, gratitude is extremely important and very, very helpful mm. so that you stop just ruminating and being attached to what's going wrong mm. and, and remember the context of, you know, what you have to be thankful for. Yeah, you know, count your blessings, not your problems. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I, I really want to thank you, Jeff, for your time today um, and for helping to resource 
the audience with some practical ways for easing the stress in this current crisis. Really, really appreciate it. If people want to know more, they can have a look. I'll put some notes around the books that we referenced, The Wise Advocate and You Are Not Your Brain. I'll also put in um, a link to your breath awareness video for people that might want to know about that as well. And also that um, I'll be starting some free online mindfulness meditation sessions starting the 1st of April. So um, have a look at that as well. So thank you very much for your time, Jeff. So yes, we're in a crisis, but it does not need to become a psychological or personal crisis. Very good. All right, everybody, take good care, stay safe. And remember, it's not what happens to you that defines you. It's how you respond that counts. Take care.